Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MLOps podcast. I'm Dean, your host, and today I have with me Yuval Gabay. Yuval is a DevOps turned MLOps engineer working at WSC Sports, where he's helped them build better infrastructure and automation for developing, training, and deploying models at really huge scales. He has vast experience in DevOps, and he built the MLOps infrastructure at WSC Sports from its infancy to what it is today. So Yuval, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Excited uh, to be here. Amazing. So let's start at the beginning. Why and how did you get into MLOps? Yeah, so uh, I joined the WC uh, about four and a half years ago uh, as a DevOps uh, engineer. Um, and. Uh, as uh, the time passed through, uh, I made, I did my uh, bachelor's degree in uh, computer science and uh, towards the end, I did uh, another extra course in uh, data science. And uh, there I discovered uh, the world of uh, machine learning, um, just uh, a bit of a taste of it. And uh, that really fascinated me. Uh, Back then, I realized there is something new in the world that uh, might bring um, new technology and uh, bring uh, new um, uh, capabilities. Um, mm -hmm. So I uh, talked to some of the guys in my company and uh, from the Algo team side, they also wanted uh, somebody from the infrastructure to bring more uh, knowledge to that uh, domain on the team and um, we created this role uh, in WC, the first uh, MLOps engineer role. And um, I'm excited uh, to since then discover this field uh, and domain and I'm learning every day about the machine learning, artificial intelligence, and uh, of course uh, the MLOps uh, world. Amazing. So I guess one thing that uh, stands out to me in that story is that uh, it seemed like very early on, people within your company knew that they wanted someone to take over MLOps. To me, like the timeline that you're mentioning is much sooner than what we heard in other places. So I'm curious, like, first, what do you do at WC Sports, just in case someone doesn't know the company? And like, how, how did this uh, come to be? Like, what were the main challenges that uh, led them to want someone to do this full time? Yeah, so with WC Sports, what we do is uh, we analyze uh, video uh, for uh, sports company broadcasters. Um, we work with the NBA, Premier Leagues, and uh, 20, 250 uh, customers uh, worldwide. Um, they have uh, streams of sports, let's say basketball or tennis or football. And uh, what they actually want to do is create highlights. Mm -hmm. uh, and we give them this ability by analyzing the video and um, chopping the parts that uh, the, the plays, the play by plays. And then we could determine which play do you need to see in your highlights. So mm -hmm. we rate them by their um, effect on the game. And then we, have, we can create automatically um, thousands of videos and publish them uh, to our customers' uh, social media uh, so we have a web-based application that our customers can uh, utilize and uh, play with and um, this is what we do at scale and 
basically analyzing video, audio, data all at once and bring the, the, this value to our customer. This is our bread and butter per se. We do a bit more stuff in content generation field, mm-hmm. um, which uh, involves, uh, for instance, cutting the video uh, vertically. So um, pointing out the interesting part of the video and mm-hmm. uh, cropping it to fit to a vertical, uh, let's say a mobile device. Interesting. Um, and so I guess maybe uh, for, for those that sort of want a summary, uh, if, if I were to uh, see like on, I don't know, sometimes people share this on social media, the NBA games where you see like it's, it's vertically filled, but it looks really professional. That's very likely uh, sort of a result of WC Sports, right? Yes, correct. So we do it for NBA, Premier League, many different sports. And in each and every sports, the, the focus area is different. Sometimes you want to focus on the ball. Sometimes you want to focus on the player. But uh, it's a not very uh, easy task. But what we do is um, detecting the, the, the area that you want to focus on. And mm-hmm. we um, crop the uh, the screen to fit that uh, mobile uh, nine by uh, uh, sixteen. Interesting. And I guess just out of my pure personal curiosity, when you do this, does this happen like fully automatically? Like you have models that understand the focal points, or or if I'm a user, I need to tell you like this is the interesting part, and then you track it or something like that. We do it fully automatically. Sometimes we have uh, like a double check maybe, mm-hmm. but uh, our main goal is to do it fully automatically, uh, almost near live. And then, um, yeah, as a user, you can get it uh, maybe, I don't know, a few seconds after the play is made. And um, yeah, so we worked very hard to make it uh, fully automatically because uh, when it goes out to social media, it's done. You have to yeah. be perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Is it also sort of a product of yours within the games? Like I've been to an NBA game or two and they show on the screen, you know, between uh, plays, uh, recaps and things like that. Is that also WC Sports or, or not yet? So so usually it's not WC Sports. It's uh, the di- director. They have an mm-hmm. in-game uh, director of the play, which... He determines what you see uh, during the game in the screens mm-hmm. there. Um, but uh, WC comes, uh, it can be during the game, but you usually see that on social media, not on the, mm-hmm. the stadium. So like real time, like within a game. Yeah, Yeah, correct. So our customer can decide if it's uh, after LeBron made this crazy dunk or... Uh, after a quarter or uh, at the end of the game, he can decide whatever he wants based on automatic rules, or we can give him like a manual play-by-play catalog, which he can then drag and create a video. Amazing. Um, so, so, okay, so that's amazing. And I can already sort of start to imagine some of the main uh, challenges around MLOps uh, with this, but like, yeah, I, I think that it seems like you are, as a company, sort of uh, ahead of the game with respect to the, the sort of uh, sophistication of your ML applications. What was like the first MLOps challenge that you had to handle when you when you started in the role? Yeah, so 
about two years ago, uh, Algo team already had, uh, we have plenty of services running in production before I became an MLOps engineer and we supported that within the DevOps team. So mm-hmm. when I uh, came to the team as an MLOps engineer, I had already a live system going um, with a high scale. So I first I had to maintain it and make sure everything is still working. But uh, I also inherited like a technical depth uh, mm-hmm. of uh, just by DevOps thinking or misunderstanding this um, this different field and like saying, okay, it's just like a software. Let's put on the same resources on it. Mm-hmm. So I had to rethink all this uh, field. How we implemented? I was the engineering behind this, uh, and also, as you know, MLOps also consists of de- the DevOps side. So as you can you can manage software, you also want to manage with the best practices of software to bring it to machine learning models. So the first thing I did is trying to figure out what we can do better. And we first tackled the DevOps aspect of uh, our services, uh, stuff like uh, moving to Kubernetes, um, implementing a new configuration management so we can have more uh, uh, control, more reposability over the the thing. And um, yeah, so in the meantime, it was understanding what is MLOps building this role, building the the domain, figuring out what are the best practices because this field is pretty new. And uh, just like uh, moving into this jungle of uh, what to do, what to focus on, what what is more important. And I'm a a big believer of uh, what pains, uh, what is the most painful, then you deal with it first and you put the focus on first, and that's uh, what we we did. After a while, we where things got a little bit a little bit uh, settled down, mm-hmm. we we could plan for the future for a better robust uh, infrastructure that could lead us uh, to grow. Interesting. So, if if I understand correctly, first I guess to point out some of the things that you said, which I uh, very much agree with. There's uh, a lot to take from DevOps, like classic DevOps methodologies to apply in MLOps, but you also need to understand the differences. And if you sort of adopt a mindset that, oh, it's it's just the same, there's this data thing and some model thing, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but it's software in the end, um, then you're, you're, it's sort of like, it might start out more or less the same, but then you might fall into uh, sort of this like edge case, or not an edge case, something that seems like an edge case, but it's actually the standard case mainly around like data scales, training scales, um, and and the fact that like data is constantly changing and you need to handle it as a, in, on one hand, separate notion, but on the other hand, integrated into the source of your experiments. Um, cool. So yeah. that totally maps to our, to, to my and our experience uh, at DAXUP, I guess. Um, there's one interesting thing that you said, which was, uh, which I also agree with is sort of the product mentality of like, uh, going and asking your users, which in this case is the, the the data science team, what are your main pain points and then trying to solve those. And, you, and you're saying that the first thing that uh, you found was sort of 
uh, like related to scalability uh, via Kubernetes and, and uh, configuration management. So can you share a bit more about those uh, uh, problems and, and how, yeah, how you solve them? Yes, of course. So at first we had uh, like a mixture of um, infrastructure to orchestrate our uh, containers. We had some very little bit of services running on Kubernetes and the most of it was um, something very similar to a virtual machine, um, mm. which is was not standardized, uh, very difficult to maintain. So the first stuff we figure out we need to do is get all of our services under one roof. Did uh, the, the de facto standard of orche orchestration for container, which is Kubernetes. And that would be a common ground for later development in terms of configuration management, uh, deployment, manageability, and uh, many more stuff we wanted to, to proceed with. But the first thing was to bring everything under one roof, under a standard way to manage services. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit uh, tricky uh, because we had also machine learning models, some of them needs GPUs, the specialized hardware. And um, so we first figured out how to run GPUs under Kubernetes. And it's uh, also pretty much new to run it under production, but it's uh, feasible. Mm -hmm. And after we did our research, so how we bring all these containers under one roof, but as you know, Kubernetes is a shared, shared uh, container environment. So if one service is going uh, crazy, then it eats up all the resources for the other uh, resources. So we did it very, very carefully, defining the, the boundaries for each of the applications. And basically, it was a good, great success. I mean, it really led us to, to bring more development and more uh, man manageability into the our services. Uh, later on, which we can talk later, we bring we brought up GitOps and other concept that very much mm -hmm. uh, is connected to Kubernetes. And uh, this also brought us uh, many steps uh, forward. Amazing. Um, so to uh, follow up questions to that one, um, was part of the standardization to define like standard um, and no, like Docker files or, or container environments that sort of data, data scientists were, I guess, incentivized or compelled to use uh, in order to deploy models or, or did you take a different approach for that? Yeah, so my approach is to empower our uh, team, our data science algorithm developer team. So I'm not, I, as, a, as, a, as a guidance, I'm not gonna determine what is your framework. You can mm -hmm. work at PyTorch, TensorFlow, whatever, you know your, your work best. Mm -hmm. But if you wanna jump into the, 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 this ecosystem, then we have to define a certain API. And this API was, okay, you got your training data, every script that you run, it's okay. You can, you can manage any way you want, but when you want to get it into the cluster, then you, can, you need to define a Docker file in a certain directory 
a requirements file, um, this other uh, uh, prediction uh, function. Mm -hmm. So then when you got this API that everybody needs to, to have a standard way, then it's much easier to bring application into the ecosystem. But on the higher level of framework, um, my uh, concept is don't tell the, the data science team which framework to work on. Just be agnostic to it and uh, build the tools around to be um, robust and scalable and dynamic to what the data science team needs. Uh, but of course, you have to determine a, a very specific API or um, stuff you agree with that you can uh, have them on board. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, the, the idea that you have sort of a, a standard contract for how a model is supposed to be packaged, and that contract should be relatively generic. So I like what you said. I think this is sort of uh, very closely tied to um, what a lot of the sort of open source model deployment solutions like uh, Seldon and Emilflow and Bento all offer. So it usually goes around like uh, Docker file requirements uh, and some Python that helps sort of uh, load the model and predict. Yeah. Um, I think that's usually the minimal sort of implementation that we see. I think that um, it's important to, I think for, like for me personally, it's important to hear uh, people like you say that this is sort of the way you're uh, approaching this internally as well. Because I think a lot of listeners are at a much earlier phase and they're not sure whether or not like maybe maybe asking the data science team to do all those three things is also asking for too much and it needs to be even more generic. So I think that it is important to say like there needs to be some standardization. But as you said, we're not going to tell you how to do data science uh, better than you know. So you should be able to do that however way you want. But the deployment part needs to uh, sort of be um, an Package, interface that's agreed yeah. upon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's and, great. And it's not even a, a hard request. Yeah, it's just uh, like the minimal uh, effort for the data science teams to to bring their services. Just like, like as you said, like contract or a certain way of uh, standardization. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes um, makes a lot of sense. So I guess this is also um, yeah. We'll we'll talk about GitOps in a second because I I'm uh, very interested in that. Um, but I guess just because this is a good segue, like if if there's someone listening who's starting out, so we already gave them one tip, which is standardize the the deployment process uh, um, the way you mentioned. Um, like, how are you thinking about this, and and what do you recommend for people that are just starting out now? Yeah, so a lot of info in the web, not everything is not very clear, but but there is a lot of info. You have to find the, the stuff that fits to you. But uh, we live in a, an area where information is widely available. You also can interact with the ChatGPT and, and other uh, LLMs that can help out in the in this field and bring knowledge. And also, you can ask. Uh, I early days I was talking to different uh, teams and different companies, MLOP, that were also maybe on the same phase. But this interaction brought up more ideas. Uh, and as uh, we talked and we said, okay. 
people are dealing with the same concept pretty much. Uh, I discovered this as well when talking to colleagues. People are dealing with the same uh, struggles or challenges. And so first know this field, try to do as much as research as you can, and and then go with the concept of building the tools. Um, for us, I am started out as a single MLOps engineer for almost a team of uh, 15 or 16 people. And mm. it, it, it would never scale if I had to do stuff manually or bring or do it uh, uh, like go with everyone hand by hand and do stuff. So you have to implement the right tools that can grow and scale with the team and be dynamic because you never know what tomorrow brings. Mm. So yes, go for the standard stuff um, where you have a community around it. You can have support uh, from colleagues or from people over while and worldwide. I'm talking to Slack uh, almost every day with uh, Kubernetes and CNCF and Argo CD and many different uh, products. Uh, so this field is pretty, can, can, can overwhelm you because there is so many tools and uh, some of them, they do same stuff slightly different. So you have to, to figure out what, what you want to do, uh, choose the right tools and choose the stuff that there is community around it. That would be a, a good advice, I think, for somebody just, just starting to build their infrastructure. I, I like that. I think that uh, this plus the advice you said earlier, which is start with a problem that you have internally and not like a shiny tool that you want to add. I think that's also a, a great way to start. Um, and yeah, I think that one of the interesting things about talking to other people that are in similar situations is that sometimes we uh, like complicate between the specifics of the problem that we have and the generics that everyone dealing with this problem has. And talking to other people helps you separate the two. So if everyone else has the same problem, uh, then there's probably a solution off the shelf that you could just use. And then you can also pinpoint what are, what are the specific limitations or dimensions in which you need to solve for uniquely. And there you might want to actually sort of uh, roll up your sleeves and start uh, working yeah. yourself. So um, yeah, th those Correct. are, are uh, great tips. Yeah, go ahead. I have to say, I, I did it like, uh, uh, I had to sometimes go to the point where, okay, there is nothing really matching what I want. I have to build it on my own, but I try to do it on the smallest parts possible, the small, the smallest module component possible. And for the other part, trying to integrate tools together. And when you work with the standard uh, applications and tools, it's much easier because uh, usually they can, the, these tools integrate with each other. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, to share a specific uh, story, I um, I think that this is sort of an ongoing challenge that you have because again, I think I've said this a bunch of times on this podcast. We are um, sort of variations of engineers, whether you're an ML ops engineer or a data scientist or whatever. It's all close to the um, school of thought of we like to build things. And so it's very tempting to, you know, whatever you have uh, as a problem to just go ahead and build something from scratch. 
I um, was working over uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, one of the things I was working on was writing some code that converts between two formats that are relatively complex. Um, and I started to implement everything. Uh, and I realized at some point that I'm writing a lot of code and I would expect this to be something that I can just use. And then I spoke with, uh, with a friend uh, who's also my, my co-founder. So I, I have an excuse to negative him. Um, and he told me like, there's no way that there's nothing that you can just modify a bit. And then we did a bit of extra searching. And instead of writing a class from scratch, I inherited an existing class and changed two or three tiny functions and everything works, right? So it's much more maintainable because there's another class yeah. I'm inheriting, which I don't need to manage. And so I, I think this is a tiny example. Um, everyone listening is probably dealing with much larger problems, but uh, I think it's, it's important to notice, like even after you've done this a few times, you might be tempted to get back to, oh, the third problem I'm going to build from scratch. So it's important to sort of uh, be reminded. Yeah, you, you have to, to first start your research online, try to find, okay, is any, anybody came across this? Ask, mm -hmm. ask somebody, talk to Slack with the colleagues and stuff. And then your, your last uh, resort should be implemented on your own because as you said, it comes with the maintenance every script that we write is uh, due to to break somewhere in the future and you have to maintain it and when you have a community around the tool then then it's much easier the knowledge um i can say i opened a few issues to to github to argo cd on github and uh, implemented features so the community really helps you moving forward and uh, maintain this very complex uh, domain. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. So if we're talking about uh, GitHub and Git, uh, GitOps for uh, machine learning or for MLOps. So how did you like get into that? What was the main problem that you, you decided GitOps might be a good solution for? And how did that sort of, as you said, move you a few steps forward? Yeah, so on my team, um, we have, as I said, um, a few, uh, um, let's say 30, uh, services, applications uh, running in different environments. So, uh, it was, it became a hustle pretty hard to, to manage everything. Uh, especially when you have uh, everything in Kubernetes and all these different YAML files. It can really overwhelm you, many different lines of code. So what we did is first bring everything uh, to like a boilerplate. Mm -hmm. So keeping, uh, uh, as we say, the, the YAMLs dry, which is don't repeat yourself. So it's easier to maintain. You have to change maybe a little bit of, uh, of uh, code somewhere and it affects everything. And it's very it's more easy to, to manage everything. So as we did that and st started to work in with Helm and customize and uh, bring all these uh, different applications into a boilerplate of, uh, of YAMLs, then, uh, okay, so how we maintain it. I remember doing uh, with one other guy of my team uh, doing uh, like manual stuff on the clusters, everybody on his own PC. And then 
as you can imagine, we override uh, each other. <laughs> so we came across this uh, challenge and we said, okay, there, there must be a solution for it. And then by researching it and uh, discovering on the, the, the internet that uh, this concept of GitOps, Uh, the concept of GitOps says you have uh, Git managing all your resources as a single source of truth. And then there is no way other team members can break stuff because everything has to go through the process of Git and pull requests and you can blame people. I'm kidding. <laughs> you, you can know your history and trace back uh, changes. And also you can implement testing and everything that uh, Git has to offer. Mm -hmm. So we, we started working on uh, bringing our infrastructure to the point where everything is uh, under uh, Algo CD as a GitOps uh, tool. And we'll manage everything from Git using Helm for services and then uh, for, for the different environment, let's say development, staging, production, We use customize, which can uh, overlay uh, the same uh, deployment, but change very little stuff between uh, environments. Mm. Uh, so the point where now I think it changed my life in so many ways. It's uh, only working uh, uh, through this uh, GitOps concept. And this is true for every software uh, project. But in machine learning, there is an extra step you have to take uh, for managing the models uh, and configs, uh, which is uh, models, you can use tools like a model registry. Mm -hmm. And for configs, we, we utilize the Kubernetes config maps, uh, also mm -hmm. as an uh, GitOps. And we also brought this one step further using Hydra which is a package under uh, uh, Meta, which uh, you can uh, inherit different config files and also change only a bit. So let's say I have a diff like uh, a service uh, that has five uh, different environments, which is deployed to, and between each, in each environment, the only difference is uh, the um, something very little so you, again you don't have to copy paste everything which would be uh, very hard to maintain you can only specify one source and then inherit uh, this source and only change this specific uh, line you want and mm -hmm. uh, this became very uh, important uh, tool for us and really help us to manage all this um, jungle. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Was there, um, so you, you mentioned sort of, obviously there's the software, there's the configuration, um, there's the sort of ML uh, model configuration. Um, was there anything you needed to change or think about with respect to data in the realm of GitOps or was that more or less straightforward? So in the realm of uh, data, we treated uh, earlier on the training um, on the training phase, 
-hmm. So we manage our data under uh, ClearML. So mm -hmm. we have uh, these uh, data sets um, that we keep that everyone can uh, see what's in the data set. You can have statistics on the data set. You can have version of it. And then when you have a model, you can trace back what the data the, the, your model has been trained on. And you can, of course, slice it the way you want. You can have different uh, tags on for testing and different tags for development or uh, uh, evaluations. So then you have a standard way you can manage data. Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, inference, we are not quite uh, there yet. We have uh, we are thinking about feature stores and uh, uh, different concepts of managing our input data on inference, but mm -hmm. uh, it's we are still uh, researching uh, this. Interesting. And um, so I guess if you had to choose one, what would you say is the hardest part of MLOps from your uh, current experience? So I think it's it's very complex to know all these different tools and um, the the nature of machine learning models itself. It's uh, way more complex than managing a software project because you have all these different variables. Um, it starts from the compute when you have uh, GPUs and CPUs and uh, GPUs require drivers and then you have these frameworks that can be very different from each other. And then you have this model, which also you have to manage and know where this model came from, what is the data, what, what was the parameter that brought this artifact. And after you have all of this and you deploy it to production, it never ends there. You have to monitor your uh, machine learning model and be aware of drift and the the data suddenly change. And this whole um, process or workflow is very different than software and it requires more attention, more expertise in the field. Mm -hmm. And I think the part we are uh, a bit challenging is how would you know your model is not doing well? And if it's not doing well, then what you do? You start a continual learning process uh, based on what? And then you have, uh, let's say everything was in you, you have a model retrained. So is it better than the other model? Uh, so all this question is uh, very hard to, to determine, uh, especially for, uh, all these uh, applications that we run. Uh, I'm talking about having this fully automatically workflow. It can take sure. uh, a lot of time created, but uh, even if you create it uh, good, then you have to to be very careful mm -hmm. and and you have to be very expert on the field of what this model does and how would it be to to retrain it what would be the outcome of it and how do i make sure this model performs better than the, the old one interesting yeah 
So those are definitely big challenges that we hear in other places as well. I guess uh, maybe in a self-serving capacity, I'm curious, do you uh, transmit data back from uh, production into your uh, training data? Or is that something that you can't do because of, I don't know, data sensitivity? I'm guessing it's not sensitive because you put it out on social media. But uh, yeah, like how, how does that uh, looping back from production into training? Yeah, so we have uh, our uh, BI infrastructure that uh, aggregates uh, the predictions from our models. Mm -hmm. And then we can detect if a model is uh, is outperforming or is is, per is not performing very well. On mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> We can pinpoint uh, this certain uh, data that is not working good on. And then uh, it's on the data science uh, team to determine what to do, how to retrain it. Currently we do it not fully manually, but uh, the action of deciding to retrain a model is uh, manually determined by the, the, the data science team. And then the process is automatically. Yeah. But sure. we want to go to a point where we have all this cycle working uh, automatically. Interesting. Uh, so also like automatic retraining, like um, the there's a algorithm that decides when to retrain. Yes, correct. And it's uh, some of our application is very hard to determine if it's good or not. So let's say we have uh, we talked earlier about this uh, model that cropping the um, your uh, stream into a mobile adapted uh, stream. Mm -hmm. So how would you know it performs better than the the one before? Uh, the metrics here, the evaluations are uh, visual and not uh, sometimes can be determined by a metric or a algorithm. Yeah, that's true. I guess um, to share the way we think about this, and I don't know if this is something that you've implemented, uh, in many of these cases, uh, the it's not, uh, the, I guess the buzzword right now that everyone likes to talk about is uh, uh, sort of, RLHF, maybe that's the extreme sample of this. Um, but what we have seen, and, and we're actually like uh, now, this is sort of on my mind, we're building something that I guess by the time this episode is uh, launched, uh, everyone will hear about uh, DAGs of Data Engine. Um, so we're going to launch a system which helps you manage data in, in that context. And the way we've seen our uh, customers and our users think about this is you transmit the information back and you can create pairs where it's two models that are running on the same uh, data point or, or uh, video in your case. And then you send those pairs to annotators and ask them to rank which one is better. And that's how you define the metric. So there is a human in the loop, but it's mm -hmm. but you're basically only outsourcing the decision about whether or not the model is good. Everything else can be automated. Like, as you said, like there's a threshold and everything. Um, I know that some larger organizations uh, do this um, and can't share names, I guess, on, on the podcast. But I think this is uh, relatively effective and relatively automatable with the caveat of you still, I, I'm still not familiar with a machine learning model that uh, does the ranking automatically, but maybe that's also possible. Yeah, I think it is possible. It's, uh, it requires... Uh the underlying infrastructure workflows to, to make this work, as mm -hmm. well as the concepts of when to train and what 
exactly you do, which parameters and what data to collect? Is it only newer data? Is it uh, take this data from this certain client? Um, yeah, so I think we are scratching the surface there, but yeah. still work to be done there. Uh, but that's a very interesting uh, topic to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so uh, one small question, and then maybe we'll move to the sort of higher level questions. But you uh, shared uh, sort of this interesting case where you started as a DevOps engineer who is responsible for sort of uh, the deployment or, or maintaining models in production. Um, and then you transitioned on into the data science side as an MLOps engineer, where you sort of took on those responsibilities, but maybe uh, deepened uh, into the uh, uh, ML field. What, who would you say is supposed to be responsible uh, for taking models into production? Yeah, so I, th I think that uh, the, the MLOps engineer should have the, the tools uh, the concepts, the best practices of how to deploy a model. Uh, for example, uh, as we did, we, we gave our uh, team the, the ability to deploy a model on uh, different strategies, let's say A-B testing, Canary, mm -hmm. uh, Shadow. So it's on the MLOps engineer to bring the tools, to bring um, the practices to do that, but I think the the, the responsible team is, should be the data science team to take these models, to utilize the tools and wrap this uh, model service application into uh, the different uh, environment, including production, and then also maintain it, make sure it runs well, but uh, the MLOps engineer should be setting the tone for that because he has the, the domain expertise on that. And to make it, as we said earlier, as much as robust, scalable, uh, and dynamic for uh, different applications to utilize. Okay, so let me ask you this in a, more, in a, in a harder question way. Uh, when the model breaks in the middle of the night, who should wake up? Unfortunately, <laughs> I think uh, the data science team won't wake up there. Uh, they sleep very well, probably when the model is done. Uh, but yeah, in this specific area, it's, uh, it's different. I was talking to a colleague uh, the other day and we said, uh, okay, then if the data science, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the developer is, uh, is uh, waking up in the middle of the day, what, what, he should be doing should he retrain his model of course not then in machine learning models the the bug per se is different because uh, sometimes it's not related to a software bug uh, the model predicts something uh, unexpected then not always you have to do some you have uh, something to do with it especially mm -hmm. not uh, in a, in an urgent way um so if you make sure your model won't reach into this uh, software bug where where it uh, actually breaks and not even predicting anything then uh, of course you have to to wake up and deal with it uh, probably an mlops engineer uh, 
would be dealing with it first. But if you have an ML problem where your model is not performing well, uh, usually it's not something very drastic that uh, requires immediate attention. Then, uh, then our team is trying to to draw this. Uh, what should you do? But uh, it usually it's an effort that uh, would be um, very different than than uh, like urgently. You have yeah. to 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 build your data again. You have to to try to to explain why the model uh, didn't predict this well and to see if there is a, the pattern if there isn't a pattern then probably nobody is gonna take care of it until uh, there is like a pattern that you can say okay in this uh, specific uh, client uh, the model is uh, is uh, having uh, difficulties then the data science can uh, retrain it or uh, mitigate it. So, mm -hmm. as we've seen, the first responders are the, the the MLOps engineer, the DevOps engineers. They usually are the ones which uh, wake up uh, at the middle of the night. Uh, fortunately, it's uh, not happening so much. Uh, yeah. You have to take care of it. You have to 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 put your uh, defenses uh, to make sure it, it never happens. And uh, if it does, then you have to deal with it. I, I have to say, done it a few times, it's, I think it's part of the, the job. Sure. Yeah, I think that the interesting point to me here is that uh, if people are transitioning from software uh, or classic DevOps to MLOps and, and data science, the the timescales, as you say, are fundamentally different, and that takes time for people to understand. Like the, you can't really shoehorn um, sort of uh, support and uh, I don't know, like SLA nines uh, into ML models because it fails in a fundamentally different way most times. And so, uh, when people talk about monitoring, it's more like understanding that there is a problem and what that problem looks like, and less like getting a an alert three minutes after the model has drifted or something like that, because that concept yeah. is, um, yeah, it, it doesn't exactly work that way. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to take care of the, 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 everything before, as we said, so make sure the, the, the deployment is running and if it's phased, then you have a failover mechanism and stuff like this. But if you got all of that sorted, then if you got an ML problem, then it's usually something that you would address uh, later and in more uh, relaxed way. And sometimes it's not some an, an easy fix you can implement. Yeah. Sometimes things, yeah, just are a uh, fundamental property of uh, reality changing and it just takes time. Yeah. Um, okay. So a few high level questions. Um, everyone is talking about large language models. How, how are you thinking about them? How they're going to affect your work and, and the company's product? Yeah. So I think everybody's heard about uh, ChatGPT, generative AI, uh, mid-journey, all of these uh, new exciting uh, models. Uh, I think um, we, we, we've seen the power it can bring to almost everything that we do. Uh, so of course, within the company, we are uh, 
looking into ways we can utilize this technology to our uh, benefit. And uh, I think it would be, uh, it would bring a, a way more uh, robust way to bring, um, first of all, understanding images, videos, uh, audios, um, let's say action detection would be maybe in the near future could be much easier task. Um, we've seen models, uh, large language models that can get a picture and understand what you see in it and transcribe mm -hmm. it and caption it. So of course uh, it could bring uh, opportunities to our world in terms of ML and uh, the field of generative AI within you, where you can create uh, images from text, from prompts. So we're still trying to figure out what are the best ways to utilize this technology. Uh, in terms of uh, the MLOps, I think uh, it's also an, another domain that uh, I have to, to be uh, involved in. You need in. to learn, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to learn and be involved in because the nature of these uh, models is uh, different. Uh, it usually brings uh, infrastructure uh, changes and infrastructure uh, more demanding because uh, these large language models are emphasis on large. They uh, require more, uh, more uh, compute. Uh, when you want to train them, you have to get a lot of data uh, into your system, how you, how you manage the data, how you, you build your infrastructure to be as robust as, uh, throughput, all this data into models, how, how eventually you're going to run the model in, uh, in a way that would fit thousands of users. It's a question. I think it's also something, uh, would affect the MLOps uh, domain. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think that there's another thing, um, which is if you're not working with your own LLMs, but using an external one, then there's this new paradigm where a model stops being something that's internal to the organization, but needs to be sort of managed as a gateway API, uh, something like that. Uh, it does emphasize the data management part in, in my mind, but there is this paradigm shift in models not sort of being owned by the company using them, uh, which I think is going to be interesting, uh, both respect to data science and MLOps. Um, but yeah, the, yeah. so given uh, where the hype is and, and where it isn't, what do you think is the most interesting topic in machine learning right now? And uh, what's the most interesting uh, topic in MLOps? Yeah, I have to say uh, the last year regarding generative AI, it, it's very much interesting. This technology I think is uh, is starting to be embedded uh, into our day-to-day -day lives. And uh, I think this also opened the gate for the larger uh, audience of what machine learning is, what is, what the, what is uh, the meaning of this. Some people, uh, you know, it worked, but it never really touched their life. So now they see this uh, field uh, right at their uh, face and uh, they realize Everything we, we have, uh, we've been doing most of the companies we, we, um, have uh, services for 
doing something in the machine learning world. Uh, we can see that factories, uh, entertainment companies, etc., uh, etc., et and uh, so the transition from uh, like a, a models which can do a specific task into a, um, foundation models and larger models which could uh, do uh, many different type of tasks. I think. Uh, it's very exciting to see, and I think um, it's going to be affecting uh, the ML world and also the MLOps world um, for a few years to come until uh, we have a, a next uh, leap in uh, technology. Some would say if we have the next leap in technology, but uh, yeah, I like, I like the nature that. of the nature <laughs> of of, uh, of this uh, field is. Uh, it's going to happen another leap. It's going to probably happen. Uh, if we talked uh, two years ago about uh, creating uh, images from prompts, I think it would be it would it would be sound uh, like a dream. But now we see uh, these models that can do it in high definition, very um, complex way, and the outcomes it. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, outstanding. Yeah, I I agree. I think that the well, I mean, you, I I guess there is an element of hype to LLMs, but there's also like fundamentally we see this everywhere. And I think that the point that you made, I I really agree with, which is before this um, ML uh, data science whatever was something that people did in companies and it didn't affect most people maybe indirectly, like you knew that the product that you're using uses something, whatever. But now you have sort of uh, unintermediated access to uh, ML or AI. I also think that one of the new, one of the changes resulting from this is that uh, data scientists and ML people are no longer shy about saying that they're working on AI, uh, which I felt was a derogatory term before uh, the beginning of this year. So that's, that's also interesting. But I think, you know, the, the fact that I don't you know, like you could go and sit with uh, your uh, aunt and uncle and uh, grandparents and, and show them ChatGPT and they can interact with it is, is something that you didn't really have before. And that's uh, same for MidJourney. That's really amazing. Um, so maybe on the other end of the spectrum, tell me something that you think is, uh, you believe is true, but few people agree with in the fields of uh, machine learning, MLOps or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think also in my company, uh, I spend uh, some time explaining what is MLOps exactly, uh, because uh, most of uh, people think, okay, it's, it's just a DevOps, right? With a fancy name. <laughs> uh, so do I, uh, uh, like, uh, so, so did I, uh, like uh, two years ago uh, mm -hmm. when we first uh, built this role. Uh, but slowly, I, I figured out, okay, this field has more of uh, uh, different approaches, different uh, flows, different uh, practices that uh, MLOps needs to uh, address in software. And this comes from the nature of machine learning models, which is totally different than software. It's an, uh, I, I like to call it an organic, uh, 
uh, on organic uh, matter because uh, uh, a model it uh, consists of the uh, the data, the parameters, the the code is has been trained on, and uh, a model can easily uh, let's say break or uh, have a drift because uh, it's not a software, it's not a, a set of commands that it runs. It's usually an artifact that you wouldn't know what to expect, right? So if you have a, a large shift on uh, your input, then your model is going to be uh, uh, poorly performed. And yeah, uh, yeah so I think uh, this concept of uh, MLOps, it's only uh, a DevOps. Uh, it's, very, it's, it's a misunderstanding of this uh, domain. So I try to work uh, explaining why is it different and what are the concepts so you have to be uh, uh, doing as an uh, MLOps engineer. Interesting. So that's that's a good one. I like that. Uh, I think that um, sort of advocating for the uniqueness of uh, data and parameters, as you say, affecting results in a way that's hard to estimate in advance and, and things like that is a is a good and concise way to sort of uh, explain the difference. Um, that's awesome. I, I like that. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. I guess um, before we wrap up, uh, any recommendations you have for the audience? It can be uh, related to machine learning, but it doesn't have to be if you have shows on Netflix that you're watching and you recommend people see. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a bit off life. This I have to admit I'm uh, I'm uh, just now I'm watching Breaking Bad. <laughs> nice. After uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why why I skipped it uh, <laughs> early days, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm deep into it right now. Uh, so it's a great show. I recommend uh, if you have uh, uh, I mean. Only if you are tough enough, you can watch it. Don't don't watch it if you are not uh, used to seeing uh, <laughs> some <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> some hard stuff. Um, yeah, in terms of machine learning, uh, I think uh, as an MLOps engineer, uh, push the boundaries. Try to really um, uh, get into machine learning, even though it's not your bread and butter as uh, MLOps then understand what your data science team does, understand what is models, what is machine learning. I also did a, a, an online course on uh, Coursera um, to really try to practice and understand deeply what is uh, machine learning and AI. That's awesome. Um, I, I agree with both recommendations, even though I saw that uh, there was a poll on Reddit the other day and uh, and people thought that uh, Breaking Bad is better than The Wire, which I very firmly disagree with, but uh, both shows are very good. And uh, I also agree on the idea of sort of looking beyond uh, the, the role and understanding your users and, and things like that via doing courses. Um, my recommendation on the uh, cultural front is I finally finished reading the books of uh, The Expanse. Um, there was a, a TV series, which is very, very good in my mind. It has six seasons, but there are nine books and the last three books are not overlapping 
uh, like or after what happens in the series. Um, and I know I've recommended like for people that are recurring audience uh, members, I've recommended a bunch of uh, sci-fi books uh, on this show. Um, I think it's very good and it probably has one of the best like series endings. So you're not, at least for me, I wasn't disappointed in the end. Um, it doesn't have the problem yeah. that many sci-fi books have where they get too philosophical in the end and you you don't really know what's going on with the plot because <laughs> they want it to be really sci-fi-ish. Uh, so mm. The Expanse avoids that, which is great. Um, and on the ML front, yeah, I, I, um, I concur with your recommendations. I'd say that uh, if you're thinking about, uh, as, as we mentioned, like LLMs and, and uh, Gen AI and how things are, are changing uh, in these days, I think that one interesting uh, thing is that people similar to how MLOps was, I don't know, three, four years ago, people really don't know how to do this. And so I think that there's a lot of interesting things that are happening. Things are changing fast. So you have to like the fast pace, uh, even compared to regular ML. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting things that are happening with respect to how do you utilize these models in uh, production context and in real products. Um, and so I think that uh, tuning into uh, the correct channels. Uh, there are a lot of great people to follow on uh, Twitter and uh, threads now, which I guess is also a recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, not, not yet there. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I really recommend people uh, look into this. And if you are trying to work on LLMs in a production context, uh, don't take uh, sort of anything for granted. Things are changing a lot and people don't yet fully understand how it's going to look. Um, and last recommendation, as I mentioned earlier, probably by the time this is out, Data Engine is out, so check it out and give us your feedback because we really uh, uh, would like to hear it. Um, and with that, uh, Yuval, thank you very much for joining me today. It was awesome uh, speaking with you. Thank you. Great uh, chat. And uh, thanks to the audience. Uh, I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the MLOps podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or add a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get this episode. Thank you and see you next time.